Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network is a Moonsault Media production and is intended for private use only. For more information, contact RetromaniaPodcast at gmail.com. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Marking Out the Days here on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. We're going to keep all that that banter in the, uh, the, the, the post-show edits, if you will, as we are... Coming with our with your new format, our, coming with our new format for all of you here on the Retromated Pro Wrestling Podcast Network is we're going to be covering we're going to we're, we're we're dumbing down the the subjects a little bit and I thought as we rebrand this new format here um, I thought we we we'd start off with a bang. Kobe and I had been bouncing around some ideas. Of course, this was last minute that um, we just kind of came up with this topic today. But you press the play because you're going to watch. The very first episode of TNA Wrestling from the Asylum in Nashville. Not the inaugural episode that took place in June of 2022. We're talking about the July 24th, 2002 episode. Episode 6 on the Impact Plus app. You can watch that with all of us. I'll give you all the directions to get there and all that jazz in just a minute. But I thought it would be kind of fun to discuss the... um, the 20-year anniversary of TNA Impact Wrestling, how it's evolved over the years, the highs and the lows as we watch this episode from the Asylum um, on July 24th, 2002. And joining me, as always, the architect, the mad scientist of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, Kobe Dadanida. What's going on, buddy? What's up? Hey, how's it going? I like the uh, daddy. Yeah, daddy. Yeah, that's right, that's how I was. Fourth of July weekend, daddy. Strutting and That's right, baby. Strutting you and cutting. Cut daddy. Yes, indeed. Oh, there you go. I'm get, Look at that. I'm getting big like Dusty, too. I need to start losing some weight, daddy. So oh, you're going to... You, you going <laughs> Sweating out here. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. You was going to the barbecue just a little too bit. No, I, I, I'm glad to be back here in the saddle with you at Marking Out the Days. Uh, we're going to cover some TNA. This the is, rebrand. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. We are the rebrand season. So, and who who better than to have the topic of king of rebrands is uh, TNA NWA Impact Wrestling uh, Total Nonstop Action you know whatever Global yeah, Force whatever they want to be called yeah well that was different but we'll get to that at some point I'm sure we'll discuss that but originally we were going to cover just like you know two or three topics kind of dumb it down a little bit but I thought you know rebrand episode rebrand season let's 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 do a watch along let's let's have a little fun with it we're not going to do watch alongs all the time but we're going to dumb it down and, and try to get you you know the 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 best historical moments in wrestling you know compacted into a month um so this month is July, as as you're listening to this, and we're we're discussing and we're going to be watching TNA the, the the anniversary of TNA wrestling, Impact wrestling, Total Nonstop Action, Global Force, Panda Energy, whatever you want to fucking call them, <laughs> the Dixie's Doghouse, if you will, the, the 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 Jared Asylum, you know, whatever whatever you want, the Impact Zone, you know, we're gonna we're gonna cover it all. But before we do all of that. Um, we got to do some cheap plugs. I mean, you know, Absolutely. it wouldn't be a show without doing cheap plugs. So without further ado, you can head on over to Retromania on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W. You'll find this episode and all the great episodes of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network in the archives by searching Retromania with a W. Kicking out it too, my show, uh, still still up and running, doing, you know, bi-weekly, monthly type of shows, not every week because you know what? I have a real life. You motherfuckers haven't paid me yet, so I'm not going to be doing this shit every single week. I love your support, but still, if you put in some, 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 some coin in my bank, then it'd be a different story. Then I'll be pumping out content every week, but nonetheless, you can find that show there. You can find um, 
the original Marking Out the Days Season 1, as we covered WWF Superstars and WCW Saturday Night. You can you can listen to Marking Out the Days, the ECW Extreme Watch-Alongs, even though that was a short-lived project, because, you know what, we're just rebranding like TNA. Um, Hulkamania is Dead, Origins of Attitude, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, other great bonus content, Cool Truth with AC, I think we had Monday Night Marks on there at some point. Mm-hmm. We got a little bit of everything going on over there. It's evergreen content. So click it, like it, follow it, rate, subscribe, review, do what you do, and join us on this nostalgic trip down pro wrestling memory lane with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Yes, indeed. Yes. Plenty of shows in the archive. Thank you all for listening. We're close to 10,000 uh, uh, downloads, too. Which that is, is cool. pretty cool. I, I I can appreciate that. Yeah, I, I can definitely appreciate that, and I appreciate all of you. So thank you all so much. Uh, so you want to dive into this episode, Dave? You want to tell people how Let's to do get it. there? Um, of course, yeah. I will be watching on nefarious means. Uh, so uh, I, I'll be I'll be queued up along with you. But uh, go ahead and let everybody know where we can find this on. The uh, uh, the Impact app, I guess. What is it? Yes, the Impact Plus app. Okay. Legally, by the way, if you have a subscription, um, and not through nefarious means, um, hopefully you're not sharing your password. Because if you are, you will not be allowed to listen to this podcast. I will hunt you down <laughs> and beat you senseless until you move out of your parents' basement, open up your own bank account, and pay for your own wrestling apps. God damn it. This password sharing era of, of of society is just out of control. Out of control. Anyways. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Nice. I like this new uh, gimmick you got going on. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. It's a work this gimmick is a work in progress. That's what I am. I am a work in progress. A work in pro- Dave, a work in progress Rosenbluth here on Marking Out the Days, the rebrand season. I've rebranded the gimmick. It's it, we're we're going full tilt with it, so we're gonna see how this goes. But anyways, long story short, the password sharing era of our society is coming to an end on this episode right here. So have the Impact Plus app queued up, ready to go. You're gonna click on series, my series, and then you're gonna go to the Asylum years. And you're gonna click on that, and then you're gonna see at the bottom it's gonna say 2002, and you're gonna scroll all the way to episode six. You don't have to go very far, okay? And you're going to press play when I tell you to. Um, but we are queued up, ready to rock and roll. This episode is one hour, 53 minutes, and 20 seconds. Um, and uh, I don't know. Do you want to do the audio on your end from time to time? Do you want me to do it? How's it going to work there, Kobe? Uh, what's, 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 uh, what's easiest for you? I can, I can turn it up from time to time on my end. I just asked you a question. Right, I said fine, what's easiest fine. for you. I, you gotta... I'll take the role then. I'll take the lead. Damn it. You want to take the yeah, lead? sure. Because, I mean, I've been carrying this thing for the last seven and a half minutes now. So, I mean, <laughs> goddamn. All right. Yeah, you know? let's get into it. No, you do the open. No, you do the open. No, I thought I was doing the open. Okay, I'll do the open. No, nope, never mind. Welcome to Marking Out Today's The Rebrand Season here on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. That was the conversation that will be included in the post-production edit when you click play and press download. And like, rate, subscribe, and review this motherfucker. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, so you want to kick it off with the audio at all, or you just want to count? I'll do, I, you know, I'll kick it off with the motherfucking audio. Okay. I'll, 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 do, I'll do that shit. Okay. Let me just turn this motherfucker up real quick. Um, 
Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go pirate radio style with this here. I don't have the audio plugged into my actual. I have a microphone near my fucking TV. This is how much we love doing this shit. But of, of course, we can't do it under nefarious means. So, without further ado, when I say play, you're gonna press play, and it's gonna open. It's gonna say the following program contains contents of violence and mature content. Viewer discretion is advised. And then you can see Jeff Jarrett bumping his gums in the ring, beating up a couple of ring boys with a steel chair. So. With that being said, in three, two, one, play. Oh. Some jobbers getting hit with the chair in the back. Oh. Though. No, no headshots yet. And, you know, Jarrett, being the leader of this promotion, if you will, uh, got to open the show what were your thoughts with like Jarrett being kind of the, the cornerstone of TNA at the beginning I'm gonna mute this here real quick um, as we watch this and I'll give you my thoughts as far as him being the cornerstone of TNA I mean um, on one hand you can look at it and be like oh well he owns the company he's booking himself in a top spot but at the same time you need at least some kind of credibility that the wrestling audience was familiar with especially when you're when you're starting a promotion I'm not saying he was a top draw worldwide and he would have put them on the map but I mean his credibility in terms of as a character on television with the wrestling audience um is right up there. I mean, people knew who he was from Double J to Don't Piss Me Off Jeff Jarrett, even to Slap Nuts Jeff Jarrett. So it wasn't like he was just some nobody. You know, he may not have been a, you know, like I said, the top draw in, in, you know, all over the world is a main eventer, but people knew who he was. The hardcore wrestling fan base knew who he was. And I think it was important that he play important role in the launch of TNA as a character on television. Yeah. I just, um, it, it made me look at him as a, a bigger star, too, honestly. Um, yeah. I think uh, WCW started to do that, and you were kind of like, oh, yeah, like I can see Jeff Jarrett as a main event heel. And he played a, he played yep. a good heel at the beginning of this. Here's- yeah, he, he worked, yeah, he, he, he worked with what was get, what was dealt to him. As we see Ken Shamrock here making uh, quick work of the, um, the enhancement talent security here that probably got paid in hot dogs um, <laughs> for, for the for the for their time on camera. But um, I wanted to discuss, you know, some of the as we're watching this. You know, this is the debut episode in the asylum. For the previous five episodes, they uh, the the company ran um, Huntsville, Huntsville Alabama, Alabama, the Vaughn Bond Yep, and I believe they also ran um, uh, either Na- I think it was Nashville. Yep municipal auditorium yes. as well and they started to realize that the, the they weren't drawing as well now granted this was a this was a brand new company a startup that was running on pay-per-view they were they weren't the you know with the this is a year removed from wcw you know being bought out ecw filing for bankruptcy the wwe the only game in town and pay-per-view companies were not willing to um or Television companies were not willing to bank on um, a new wrestling product and, and in, in a television format. So the Jarretts sold the pay-per-view companies on this idea, and I thought it was a pretty novel idea. Uh, paying ten bucks—I mean, granted, they didn't do great pay-per-view buys, but ten bucks a month on pay-per-view weekly for two hours of what they called the total nonstop action. Um, I thought it was a pretty solid way to introduce yourself into the wrestling business. Not bad at all. 
Yeah. And uh, for me, it was just fresh, fresh content, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw the birth of the X Division during this time mm -hmm. period. Um, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on the X Division. What were your initial thoughts when they, you know, when they 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 brought the X Division? Well, I knew to the I knew it was kind of their their uh, like uh, vision of the cruiserweight division, um, yes. introducing the new brand of high flyers. And some of the guys that were involved with the birth of the X Division were at the death of the cruiserweight division in WCW um, mm -hmm. and the tag league. AJ Styles, to be specific, um, yes. You know, uh, I, I loved it. And I was a big AJ Styles mark right from seeing him. And I think I, I saw yeah. him briefly before on uh, NWA Wildside. I think that's where he was noticed by the gentleman in the ring as we're watching Bill Barron's. Bill yes. Barron's worked behind the scenes for, for TNA for quite some time. He was a booking agent for a lot of guys. Um, James Storm, Chris Harris eventually, Abyss. Um, names like that that hadn't had national television exposure, national, you know, wrestling exposure. Bill Barron's, oh, as we see, he just got waffled Ooh, with a chair, a headshot. clean chair shot. Yeah, headshot. Um, took that one pretty good. Yeah. Parted his hair. Uh, he, um, he, was, he was very instrumental and responsible for bringing those guys into TNA and helping them become – big stars see ken shamrock and flip flops I that's know. a badass wrestling coming out in flip flops to fight a guy i just uh listened to a, another podcast not to plug it but it, it's about the history no let's plug the, it it's the history of pro wrestling uh it's pretty good mm -hmm. it's it's nerdy but they talk about how uh, uh ufc was formed and the first ufc was kind of just like a no holds barred situation where everybody was just style versus style and ken shamrock um decided to wear shoes during it um and you know it's a decision to not wear shoes or to wear shoes and it's just funny to see him wear flip-flops here as you see them fly you know oh. they, they came off oh headshot wow look, look at that and and you notice who's in the ring there on the right we have uh monty brown and then who apollo. was apollo yeah now we have uh our truth who was known as i think he was k crush k crush yes in, in in tna and Brian Lawler, uh, formerly uh, Grandmaster Sexay in the WWF, the late Brian Lawler. Uh, we lost him a few years ago, tragically. Um, but this is, um, this is like I said, the debut in the Asylum. Um, this was a work in progress, just like myself. Now, did you get of, to watch this at the time? I did. I was, you know what, because, all right, I, I mean, when I was younger and still to this day, I'm a big hardcore wrestling nerd junkie. And so, because I didn't have my alternative of a WCW or even an ECW to some to to some degree, I was ordering these on a weekly basis. Okay, um, and I was getting the WWF pay per views too. Right. So it was so I was spending quite a few quite a few dollars on my wrestling monthly. I was probably spending close to eighty bucks a month Jeez. on wrestling between four episodes of TNA and then the WWF stuff. Right. Um, this is before WWF, WWE would have three pay-per-views a month every other week. Hey, Dave, you know <laughs> how I was getting it at the time? How You were, you, you had the black nefarious box, right? Nefarious Means. Nefarious Means, that's right. The, this is the Nefarious Means episode. Hey, pal. Marking out the days. The we do things by Nefarious Means over here, if we you know do. what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn, pal. As we see, Mike Tanay, Don West, and Ed Ferrara. Ed Ferrara, for those of you unaware, is the... Uh, was the infamous um, co-writer, writer. Yeah. 
creative writer, along with Vince Russo, uh, during the Attitude Era of the World Wrestling Federation. He played Oklahoma um, in WCW. Uh, alongside Dr. That Steve Williams during that short-lived stint of Russo's booking in the fall of 99. Mm-hmm. Um, and Don West here, uh, unfortunately, battling um, battling brain cancer yeah. right now. He's, uh, he, he's not doing too well, but uh, best wishes out to Don and his family. I know the wrestling industry has been backing him up, supporting uh, with GoFundMe pages. You can probably look for that on, online on GoFundMe.com. Uh, and ways to uh, Jericho's donated a fair amount of money. Jericho always is very generous when it comes to his. Uh, well, Scott his Scott Demore said he would match dollar for dollar for a certain I, amount yes, of Yes, I remember of fans, hearing that too. And then they they raised way more. So Scott Demore yeah. is going to help him out, and the fans. So did. I wanted to bring something up to you that's I think very important to discuss as we're watching this very first episode of um, NWA TNA from the Asylum, episode six. Um, this would be right around the time when the financial backers of TNA, along with the Jarrett, because the Jarrett's had investors with them, by a group by the name of Health South, and their scandal um, that almost led to the downfall of TNA with their CEO Richard Scrushy. Um Scrushy with a Scrushy, um Let me uh, look it up here. Health South systematically overstated its earnings by at least 1.4 billion in order to meet or exceed Wall Street earnings expectations. Hmm. Um, so, he, so Scrushy committed accounting fraud, hmm. and for weeks. So, if you go back, you listen to. I'm not going to plug. Well, I'll plug it because I think it's very instrumental in um, the history of TNA, My, the My World podcast with Jeff Jarrett. Where there's a few episodes talking about the creation of TNA and how um, the company almost fell flat on its face because of this scandal and how Jarrett would eventually find out that the um, that, that his investors weren't putting the money into the company like they said they were mm-hmm. and the guys weren't getting paid and the pay-per-view numbers were a little, you know, the, the, the pay-per-view companies were weren't getting their their funding as well. So there was a lot of um, tomfoolery of nefarious means, if you will, <laughs> by CEO Richard Scrushy from Health South. And then not long after that, um, Jarrett's attorneys uh, would end up um, would end up uh, removing themselves from Health South and their partnership, which then would lead to Dixie Carter and Panda Energy. Buying the buying the company not long after this, so like it's with, win, it's, with, it's within this like uh, like July or August. Okay. I think uh, like August of of two thousand and two is when okay. things really you know made a turn for the worse, and it was like an uh, you know eleventh hour hail mary type of uh, situation where the Jarretts had, um, I believe, Jerry Jarrett had a relationship with Dixie. Mm-hmm. Because she was a um, she was a public relations, uh, um, she worked in PR and marketing, right. and so they they knew each other from a previous life, and it turned into um, a, a relationship moving forward with with her and her father and their company buying a majority stake in TNA Wrestling, right on, and and then making her the president. As we see, um, amazing red and low sta- just lighten it up, man. S- Staples of the X Division. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the X Division? What 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 were you thinking at the time, and what are your thoughts like uh, post? It felt like a. It, it, to me, it felt like a. Um, 
a um, their their version of a lightweight cruiserweight division. Uh, at the same time, they would um, they used to like to use the tagline. It's not about weight limits; it's about no limits. And for a while, you would see guys in that 220, 225 pound mark uh, and under mm-hmm. wrestling um, in these types of matches. I remember seeing. Um, uh, pictures in the after magazines of low key and hearing stories about his work. So this is the first time I had got to see him, see him live on, on TV. I had never seen him in person. There was no means to watch him on television, uh, because he worked a lot of the, the independents along the Northeast of New York, Pennsylvania, um, a stretch of, uh, of Indies like three PW and, um, I believe he also worked for Amazing Red's promotion, House of Glory Wrestling, yeah. at one point. Both these guys um, still amazing. working to this day. I mean, Amazing Red yes. is 20 years old at the time of this uh, recording, so he's, yes. he's 40, still wrestling. And I believe Loki is older than him, so he's he's got to be 43, you know, 45. Yep. I believe the last time we saw Loki wrestling was in Impact Wrestling. He was involved in an angle with uh, LAX. Also, MLW, he has uh, a few shots there. Yep. But I, I liked the, the tagline not about weight limits, about no limits, and then eventually that would kind of ring true when like you would see the the um, the inclusion of Samoa Joe a couple of years later. Yeah. You would see someone who was much bigger, doesn't meet that cruiserweight limit mark, uh, but he would do things like a cruiserweight that I thought was pretty damn cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the fact that for a startup promotion like this, they didn't just rely on, oh, that's wow. nice, they... Dragon Sleeper draped over the top rope grapevine. Yeah. Wow. Um, how they would highlight the X Division in a main event role. So you saw guys like Styles and Jerry Lynn and Low Key and these guys really killing each other in the main events of these shows. Um, they weren't just looked at as car crash opener type matches to get the action going, although this is in a, a opening match type spot here uh, for this episode. So I thought that with the way that the business was going, because the WWF was virtually the only big game in town, um, going a different route and giving a different presentation with the X Division, I think, was very crucial and important to the growth of TNA Wrestling moving forward in the long term. Absolutely. I don't think it was like, okay, like we, we are comparing it to say like it was their version of the Cruiserweight or Light date, Weight Division, but it, it was very different. Um, cause the yeah. cruiserweight division featured a lot of Lucha stars, which Lucha wrestling, yeah. Lucha Japanese Libre, stars too. Yeah. And Lucha Libre is a little bit, you know, different. It, 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 and it, it did kind of birth this style with the X division, which kind of the X division has taken, uh, you know, the, the style per se of where you get quick impact moves, um, you know, a power bomb from these, these guys that are, are less than six foot high, you know, six foot in height, like power bombs rapidly to each other. And like, you know, just counter reversal, counter reversal. That style is like Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think that that has uh, evolved into that. Um, so, it was very different to see at the time all this all this styles of like as we see that that Canadian destroyer was huge at the time. That was a big move. Yeah. Now it's it it's a transition move. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, stuff like that you you see on a regular basis. But this was the early beginnings of that style. If it, to me, it feels like it, it. This is like early. This right here is reminiscent of what 
we see in AEW a lot of the yeah, times yep. too, with a lot of their their smaller guys, um, that very high spot type of style. Um, you know, not a lot of psychology, just very acrobat acrobatic um, uh, presentation in 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 the in the matches. Um, it's hard on paper not to look at these two and be like, "Oh, this is a cruiserweight match because they're two smaller guys. They're 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 moving. They have a similar move set like cruiserweights, but like you said, at the same time, cruiserweights were more represented by the lucha libre style. Yeah. Um, at least in WCW, here you have, like you said, a very hybrid type of style with these two guys. Um, low key can fly and move around, but he's also a very physical performer. He's a grounds with MMA, and, you know. Yeah, he's got like a like a yeah, like you said, a martial arts Ooh. type of presentation. Where Amazing Red here too, who was, who I to me, it's a shame he didn't how do far more. he did not move yeah. up in TNA. You know, he had a following. A spe- this was this to me. I think I think this is his debut in TNA right mm-hmm. here. This match, if I'm not mistaken. Look at this move. Um, oh my goodness, unbelievable! I mean, for the um, time, you know, it's just like wow. He had such a following. The the, the the, the presentation with Don West kind of being his biggest cheerleader, I thought that was kind of neat that an announcer was really like getting behind him um, like that. Um, and then eventually it resonated with the audience, and it resonated with this particular audience in Nashville at the, at the fairgrounds. Um, I'm just surprised. Oh, that's a nice move. What's that called? That is like a Falcon Arrow crusher, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Michinoku type driver yeah. deal. Yeah, with Loki getting the victory. Um but yeah, the X division, when it comes to you know the the early parts of TNA, I think was it was very innovative and it was a reflection of the style of wrestling, a certain style of wrestling that you would see in the mainstream up to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Here we see, see the girls. Yeah. We don't see the yeah. we don't see them bring out the girls too much anymore. But I definitely enjoyed this. Yes, this was not, yeah. I, I didn't change. I didn't change the channel for this. I'll say that. Um, oh crap! Yeah. All we'll right. Get some flavor in go. here, folks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Nashville is a very diverse uh, city. Yes. yes. What are it your is. thoughts of um, the fairgrounds becoming the the hub for Impact Wrestling at this point? I liked it. Um, I thought it brought a very intimate studio type of setting. You know, you could fit maybe about five, six hundred people in there. Um, Reminiscent of Memphis wrestling. Yes, exactly. Well, I think that was the whole point yep. for them. They knew that they could get a. Uh, they knew because Memphis was such a, um, or Nashville was such a, um, um, a, a big wrestling town that they knew they can get a crowd in there. They knew they can fit five, six hundred people in there with Jarrett being an established guy in the territory back in the day. Um, and bring some names into um, Lawler's son. Yep, you know Brian Lawler as well. Uh, you see the Hot Shots. Ooh, who are um, these guys? Uh, I want to say. Um, let me let me look this up here. Dead uh, and dead. No, they're not dead. Okay. Neither of these two guys are Good. dead. But you know, I'm uh, I'm glad you had hope for JB them. Jeremy Christ. Borash on the mic too. Cassidy Riley, I think, and um, Chase Stevens, maybe. Oh, I could boy, be wrong. Yeah. But, I'll look them up right now. And we see referee Scott Armstrong, right? Yes, Scott Armstrong. So Cassidy Riley. Yes, Cassidy Riley and Chase Stevens of the Hot Shots. Um, they were a short-lived um, tag team 
within the there was a lot of there, here's the thing there was a lot of um experimenting during this era you know you had your core group of guys like here we go wildcat chris harris and cowboy james storm they would eventually become america's most wanted Who just wrestled uh last week in impact wrestling yeah i was gonna ask you about that so you 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 yep. through text message you've been watching a little bit of i watch um, it weekly now impact wrestling you watch it weekly yep. now okay see i don't have unfortunately i don't have the i don't have the channel that watches it i can get because i have the impact plus app it I think it takes about a week for the new show to. Well, pal, but I, I, I just there's, watch there's it so through much nefarious ra- means. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it illegally. <laughs> yep. But um, Storm and Harris here, um, big staples of the early days of TNA. Um, one of my favorite matches, and I'll get into it in a little bit with between the two of them, was oh. their tag team match with. Oh, he's smoking a cigarette. Wow. That's not very baby face like of him. Well, James um, Storm transitions to drinking beer. That's right. Yeah, with beer money and Robert Roode, which yeah, we'll get into yeah. shortly. But um, anyhow, th- these two were very instrumental in building the tag team division within TNA um, and representing the NWA World Tag Team Champions um, eventually down the line. But um, yeah, this was um, it's it's pretty cool to go back and watch this. It's been a while since I've seen this. Yeah, I was a uh, big fans of these guys at the time. Um, I I was like, oh wow, I could get behind. Like I could see Chris Harris advancing, you know, getting a little bit better. But everybody thought I that. know everybody thought that. That's crazy. Um, but he just he just didn't, you know. Um, and James Storm, I grew to liking him in the later years when he started doing some uh, later heel work with with Bobby Roode, and uh, when he started getting into the heavyweight division. Um, but I always always appreciate him as a tag team wrestler in either tag team that he was in. But, um, you know, this stuff was stand out at the time. Um, and them recently wrestling in Impact Wrestling. Oh, boy. James Storm still got it. But Chris Harris is just. Oh, I was going to say, he looks rough. He, it's rough. Yeah. Too. And his promo is even falling off worse than he just did. I think that I think when it comes to Chris Harris, for those of you that remember, um, you know, America's Most Wanted had a very um, long run as a team, probably about four, almost five years as a team, and they uh, they decided to split the two of them up, and everybody thought that we would see um, Chris Harris become the 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 star of that group, you know, and James Storm would eventually become the Genetti, but it turned out it was Storm that would that would be the breakaway star from the from that team. Um, they tried Harris out in the singles, and I don't know what the deal was, but um, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. And then he tried his luck in the WWE as Braden Walker, and that fell flat on its face before he even walked in the door. Yeah, um, And that was the end of him, really, if you think about it. That was the end. I know they brought him back in for like a quick shot in TNA to, to wrestle against James Storm once, but it, he just wasn't the same. And I think a lot of people, myself included, felt like um, he was going to get lost in the shuffle within WWE. And he, he ended up being nowhere near the shuffle to begin with. He was he was here today, gone yesterday. So um, I think he would have fared much better if he had stayed within TNA. Maybe he eventually would have gotten that big singles run. But I don't think um, I don't think it was a smart move for him to leave. He bet on himself and he lost. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes in the WWE system, they see guys like him, uh, like these, like I don't know, they're like you know, 
handsome. He's uh, got yeah, he's got like a th- athletic long hair guys look. like a Lucky Cannon. Do you remember Lucky Cannon? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, from the NXT yes. series, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it's that him, whole yeah. vibe of like, we'll push them. They look great. And you're like, wow, I can kind of get behind this guy as a baby face. And then they're just like, mm, crush him. He's got Southern baby face written all over. Oh, him. for and sure. You, as you know, WWE was not a Southern baby face region or promotion Still whatsoever. No, oh, yeah. To this. Yeah. No, they're global. They're worldwide. Even through nefarious means, they are, they are <clears> a worldwide <throat> organization. Yes. Goddamn, pal. Goddamn, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to spend three million on her. You're like, well, uh, you know, well, uh, did that check clear, pal? Uh, Goddamn, three million. Why are you spending that? Hey, much? boss. You could, you could get so much more pussy somewhere else. Okay. Anyhow. Um, <clears throat> oh man. So, uh, going on with the the experiment here, the Nashville Fairgrounds. I I think what. Like, do you know what else surrounds this vicinity here? I don't. Neither do I. I, I, I did. I did not major in geography, but um, uh, this was a this was a very popular um, wrestling hot hot spot in the Nashville area. So, is this the only um, thing going on at the fairgrounds? Though, is what I'm saying is like there's always there's like other events going on at the same time. I wonder. I don't know. I would imagine. I mean, it's summertime, so I would imagine there might be something going on yeah. like outside of this this building. Um, but, but that I really, in I the really people, truly though. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, Jarrett, a proven commodity in that area. Um, I think a lot of people at that time, especially as a hardcore wrestling fan, were looking for some form of an alternative because WWE had just started the brand extension and I don't think it had gotten off to a great start. Um, and there are, there was loads of talent out in, the wrestling world that needed to be exposed and oh that was awful wow mistimed mistimed for sure but um there was loads of talent that needed exposure and there was just wasn't enough room in the wwe food chain and you know tna became a a big break for a lot of guys i mean a lot of guys in, in the wrestling world um like these two here storm and harris and um i think um because wrestling was in need of an alternative at this time. At least for me, I felt like as a oh, hardcore yeah, fan. There, there definitely needed to be an alternative. As much as I liked WWE and there were some bright spots, th- this was where I think they started resting on their laurels because there was no competition. Yeah. And G- and Jarrett and his father, Jeff and you know his father, Jerry Jarrett, um, decided it was time to you know bring some new talent to the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought too the association with the NWA was helpful because I was just about the to bring N- that for up. a hard because as a hardcore fan, I you know I have you know I remember the NWA. Same. I remember the NWA's association with Jim Crockett Promotions, Same. especially growing up. So the, I thought as much as the NWA was a dying brand, it was an opportunity to revive that brand as well as create a new brand within TNA as we see wow. Harris and Storm picking up the victory. Nice finish in there. This, um, yeah, it wasn't bad. Bad little suplex, you know, nice little suplex with a bridge. Um, well, I think they're, they, oh, coming from behind, Pearl harbored him. I think it was even at this time, because the involvement of the NWA, it became nostalgic. Uh, there was us, some nostalgia to you it. Know? 
Yeah, there was. And I mean, and they also they also used a lot of names that were familiar with the NWA. Like, you know, eventually they would bring in Dusty Rhodes at some point. Yeah. Old school uh, but, booking you know, tactics, had, too. Like, as we see, tag teams here, you know? Yes. Uh, yeah, ta- and, the ta- and during this era of wrestling, especially in WWE, tag teams were a thing of the past, you know? They, they were just like three months into the brand extension and they split up the Hardys, they split up the Dudleys, they split up the APA, they split up Edge and Christian. There was tag team, you know, a a big part of tag team wrestling. Oh, they got guns. They got guns. Are you going to pistol whip them? Oh, God. A pistol whip to the back of the head. Wow. Yeah, this is this is that Memphis style booking that just doesn't go. What the hell is it? I can. See I enjoy why old school booking stuff like this. I don't know why I'm such a sucker for it. Like I could watch like old like USWA shit and enjoy get little perks out of it. I don't know something about like the smaller studio wrestling to me. Just uh, it, it calls to me now. I like it, but I mean, you know, the post match little thing with the guns. Yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah. The, of course. The pistols, yeah, like, I, I could do without that. Yeah. Um, uh, so the Nashville Fairgrounds was actually built in 1922. Oh, wow. And then it was uh, it, it was destructed, uh, it was sold and uh, destructed in uh, 2020. I think they're going to build something else there. It says uh, they're going to build 160 units of affordable housing. <laughs> And, uh, that's, and that's that's just about everywhere. And a major league soccer stadium. I believe it. So they, I believe, yeah, it. they used to uh, have like five venues there where they would have a raceway and uh, events like this. So this was bringing in this the crowd. Was an interest- yeah, yeah, definitely. It seems like affordable housing's everywhere. At least that's the, that's the plan everywhere. <laughs> anytime, anytime something gets taken down, we gotta find more housing for people. Uh, Not that you know people don't deserve to live, right. but goddamn. Yeah. You know, um, anyhow, um, I want to talk a little bit here. We got Apollo on screen, and uh, this was during around the time when Jarrett was developing a relationship with um, IWA out of Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and Victor Quinones. And Apollo, who was a big star over in Puerto Rico, um, would be a mainstay in the early parts of TNA here in this, you know, first six months to a year or so, um, with Jarrett and the company trying to. Take a page out of Vince McMahon's book and establish a a Latin American wrestling audience, mm-hmm. which I thought was a pretty smart move. Yeah, absolutely. But as a but as as a as a mainstream wrestling fan, nobody knows who Apollo is because nobody watches wrestling from Puerto Rico. No, so, but you, you they built him weekly. They built they, they built did. him pretty good on the show. They, he just didn't show up they anywhere did. like AEW, and it's just like, oh my god, it's Apollo! Yeah. <laughs> what? They, what? They, who the hell is Apollo? Who the who the yeah. what? Who's this Apollo yeah. guy? I've never seen him in Red Hook before. Kanaski. Oh, you know? Apollo <laughs> delivering the Yoshikani Mashi. <laughs> like, oh my god. They just—they built—they built people well. I, I, I agree with trying to get that audience. Um, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of promotions like ROH do did that stuff, um, and they were you know they were birthed around this time too. They started working with promotions like All Japan, New Japan, um, you know, some other Dragon Gate, you know, out of uh, and and AAA as well, you know. I think yeah. that relationship is uh, is is good to get a global feel for your wrestling promotion. 
especially if you're going to call yourself a world champion, you know, you got to have people from different countries and stuff compete. You know, the beauty of, of this being a work in progress for TNA so early on during this time frame was the fact that um, they were a live show on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So there were not a lot of indies, if any, independent promotions that ran shows on a Wednesday. It was Saturday, it was Sunday, an occasional Friday evening show. But for the most part, you know, as an independent wrestler, you were a weekend warrior. You worked the weekends. Yeah. So you were able to you were able to have a fair amount of talent be available for you on a weekly basis on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember listening to the My World podcast where Jarrett had said, you know, we're a startup. He would, you know, this is what he would tell the talent. We're a startup and, um, you know, you'll get, you know, depending on where you were on the card, you know, you'll get X amount of dollars um, to work, but you, you, I just need you for Wednesday. That's all I need. I need you for Wednesday. Like you, and as time goes on, we'll just you know, as this thing grows, we'll continue to you know, to to touch base and evolve and see you know who's available. If you're available, great. If you're not, no hard feelings. But um, he, for the most part, the talent that were involved in the early days of TNA, especially during this Asylum era, um, it was all about getting exposure. So they would work just about anywhere, and especially if it was on. Not national television, but on weekly pay per view, which was a concept that wasn't heard of right. back twenty years ago. Um, it was it was a good opportunity for them to get some exposure with a hardcore wrestling fan base. Yeah, and I don't think a mainstream wrestling fan base was really going to um, was really going to um, latch on to this. So this was more for the hardcore wrestling fan. And then you know, as time goes on, depending on the pay per view numbers they would do, then. Eventually, it would become a mainstream thing, as we see Brian Lawler stuffing the 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 chain down his uh, down his yeah, hit like his dad uh, would do with brass knuckles. So the taped brass yeah, knucks job, yeah, throwback there. Two questions for you. I don't know if you can answer. Okay. Um, so yeah, you yeah. think that with these guys involved with having that free time, uh, were, was there crossover between TNA and ROH in the early days? Do I remember that correctly? Um, I. Don't know. Okay. I don't remember, to be honest with you. I know I that... I think a couple guys crossed year, over I, quickly. I think there's... Yeah, I, it's very possible. I just don't remember. I do know that in later years, there was a working relationship within T, with TNA and with... Um, Ring of Honor. With uh, Ring of Honor. But that ended pretty quickly after the Rob Feinstein scandal. Mm-hmm. With, with Rob Feinstein um, uh, being caught... Uh, on like one of those like to catch a predator Dateline shows type of deals, mm-hmm. where he was um, he was uh, messaging an underage underage teenager, uh, soliciting sex, if you will. Uh, to this day, I'm still surprised that uh, he wasn't locked up for it, and that he's allowed to be around kids because he does run a company, uh, RF Video Shoot Interviews, mm-hmm. does a lot of autograph signings and at a fair amount of conventions and stuff like that. So not to disparage him, but these are just things that have come out that I've been made aware of. But um, the crossover with ROH, uh, I, I think they did use some ROH guys. I know like Amazing Red. And Joe would, 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 too, right? And Joe, um, the Spanish announced team who were like affiliated with Amazing Red as part of Ring of Honor, you would see them. Um, Low Key was a part of uh, Ring of Honor. AJ Styles had a couple of shots in Ring of Honor. So I think Ring of Honor was kind of in the same boat as TNA was during this time frame where they were they didn't lock so many guys down 
um, to to big you know to 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 exclusive contracts, but they made sure that you know they these individuals were available for the dates that they needed them for. Yeah, until uh, just until like, guys just like started TNA getting was. injured or anything like that, and then injuries or even you know eventually if things were picking up for either company, then they would kind of nail nail guys down um, exclusively. Uh, for a little bit here. But, um, yeah, I don't know about that. What's the other question you Second got? Second one, uh, as we see, Slick Johnson, the referee there, remnants of late days of WCW. Uh, WCW used to have um, online wrestling, you know, uh, their shows online. And this was early in the... The paper listens. Yeah, early in the days of uh, the internet. Or not early yes. in the days, but, you know, in the incarnations of... Uh, more uh, social interactions and network and marketing on the uh, internet. Uh, do you think TNA would have would have done well if they had, uh, instead of the pay per views, also done like a website weekly uh, show? Well, it's it's interesting that you say that. Okay, because now we're gonna kind of fast That's forward. Why we're a little here. Bit. Yeah. Um. There was a period of time uh, after. After TNA stopped running the weekly pay-per-views, they had reached a deal with Fox Sports Net for Friday afternoons at 3 o'clock. Um, Fox Sports Net at that time was really gaining some steam and some traction from that that show, The Best Damn Sports Show, with Tom Arnold mm-hmm. and John Sally. And so TNA had kind of been a part of that block of programming in the afternoons on Friday. They did a little bit of cross-promotion. Um, this is when they were running the Impact Zone in Orlando, Florida from Universal Studios. They had a one-year deal, and then the deal had had expired. They did not renew. At that time, it was a TV deal that didn't benefit TNA financially. Um, It got them some exposure on a broader scale uh, in terms of national TV. But Friday in the afternoons at 3 o'clock was a terrible time slot. But they had to pay for that time slot as well. They didn't get paid to... to, to, For advertising. There was some sort of... I I think it was a barter deal. I think like if... I, I think... TNA paid for for the slot, but at the same time, if um, if ad sales had reached a certain number with Fox Sports Net, then TNA was going to receive some kind of compensation. But and if it, if it was large in part due to the success of Impact, but um, so for a while, for God, I'd say like maybe like three or four months, TNA ran their impact shows from Orlando and their pay-per-views or their, their, I'm sorry. They ran their impact shows from Orlando, um, internet exclusive only to the TNA wrestling website. They were not on Fox sports. They did not have a TV deal at that time. Their pay-per-views. I think they had like two or three pay-per-views where they were promoted without television in the, in the summer of 2005. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to watch an episode of impact, uh, you had to watch it through the TNA Wrestling website for a few months in the summertime. I want to say it was like like June, maybe. Yeah, I think it was like June of 2005 is when their Fox TV deal ended and they went right to internet exclusive until they reached a deal with Spike in the fall later that year. Yeah, a lot of evolution for these guys, uh, and they're lucky. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I don't, what is it? with them you know they just stay alive over and over again it's like you it's, think they're gonna die it's kind of like that little engine that could kind of theory yeah. you know they, they they have an underdog kind of spirit where um people want to see them succeed because they have some talented you know ros- members of the roster and um 
They see potential as we see Brian Lawler choking out Don West. Uh, the announcer's table is very Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they it's just one of those things where they 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 don't quit. They, you know, Cats have nine lives. TNA had about ten. I mean, it's it, TNA, Impact Wrestling, whatever you want to call them. They, they, they had more than more lives than a cat. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, Brian Christopher, what are your thoughts on him? Career wise, um, do you think he, he could have been like ever excelled at like TNA if he would have like stayed straight, you know, and become like a character like his father almost? That- I think if he dropped the, the, the too cool gimmick, I think that's the problem was that like, he had so much success as Grandmaster Sexay in the WWF. He was let go, and he he's a part of TNA, and but he looks like Grandmaster Sexay, you know, like he's kind of got the too cool vibe, um, in the presentation. If he did something completely different, I mean, I don't see him moving past. X division, maybe even a tag, maybe even put him in a tag team with someone. But I think he had to. I, to me, I feel like acknowledging the Lawler name, I thought was fine because I think so many people knew that he was Lawler's kid. If you didn't acknowledge it at some point, mm-hmm. it was it, it, w- it would have been a detriment to him. Um, even though Jerry Lawler had stated publicly that he didn't want him taking the last name because he didn't want him. Um, he didn't want the reputation of Jerry the King Lawler following Yikes. him, and he didn't want you know he didn't want the he, he wanted Brian to make it on his own, pretty much. <clears throat> He's the shit. So. <clears throat> and what the hell is this? Oh man, we have a uh, <clears throat> if you will in 2022 a Karen coming to the the save of her Norman. I think. Is this Norman Smiley's wife? Oh boy! Whoa, that's pretty what they physical were... right there. Okay, quick. Okay, yeah, crush. that's our truth. Truth R. Either one. Yeah, I liked uh, K Crush at the time. I thought uh, he was a nice, you know, breath of fresh air in the NWA, especially becoming one of the champions. Yeah, he he. Div- I think you got to see him develop into I wouldn't say a star at that time but he was coming along nicely that he had this platform you know he and you saw how talented he was in the ring he had charisma um I I thought the 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 TNA NWA um platform was suitable for him during this time frame he he didn't quite get the break that many thought he should have gotten in the WWF and so, therefore, he comes to NWA TNA, and he's not in a crowded... I mean, think about it. The WWF roster was crowded during that time. This was the early days of the brand extension. You still had a lot of WCW and ECW talents left over in that company. So, it was hard for him to really get get an opportunity, a big break. Not saying that he didn't deserve it, but I think he needed to go to TNA to prove that he was able to make it on the big stage like WWE down the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And since then, just kind of coax and stays in the middle. 
I mean, he's the, the. I don't know. I mean, he does something right for him to be on television yeah. in these twenty four seven segments, even though it's not everyone's cup of yeah, tea. But he, he's making money. You know what so I mean? That's that's what's important. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's all that matters at the end of the day. And to yeah. me. With the way that that Hall of Fame format is, I could see him getting a Hall of Fame induction. Very, very reminiscent of the Bushwhackers. Uh, you know, a guy who's reliable, a guy who's entertaining, a guy that they can go to in a moment's notice. And If they ever allowed him it, in they a, could do a TNA or Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame for him. I'm sure they could, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's... Sorry. It's not out of the realm of possibilities these days. I mean, we just saw it recently. There was AEW guys on Raw doing uh, video tributes for John Cena. Yeah. So WWE has used Impact Wrestling footage for their documentaries on the on the Peacock. So it's it's very possible. We could definitely see it. It would be nice because I think he was very he was a he was a mainstay. He was a flagship for this early part of TNA, really helping get it get it off the ground and establishing himself as a singles performer. Yeah, you know who else was Austin Creed during this era? Not this era, but you know, like what? It's like in a year or so, right? Uh yeah, I think a couple of years. Okay. Um, Austin Creed would eventually make his way um, into TNA. There's something I did want to discuss with you. Um, you know, we move on from the month, the, the weekly eras of pay-per-view to the monthly eras in, in uh, 2000 and uh, 2004. Um, and we would eventually see, you know, the evolution of the X division. We talked about Samoa Joe earlier, but uh, more importantly, the concepts that would really help make TNA stand out as an alternative uh, would be the six sides of steel, the six sided ring, and the ultimate X match. Give me your thoughts, respectively, on each of those um, concepts uh, with TNA. Did you like it? Did you dislike it? How important was it to the growth of TNA? Talk to me a little bit about. First that. off, Ultimate X hated it. Still, still really? don't like it. Really? Yeah. All right. Do tell. Uh, it's just the concept of the ropes look kind of funky. I know it's like an X, and then the thing dangling. Um, but mm-hmm. the guys have to climb the ropes. Um, okay. Why not just do a ladder match with like, I don't know, like a ladder within a cage and then there's a hole at the top with the thing dangling, you know? I don't know. Some, some, I don't, I, I just never was a fan of that, of that structure because people fell awkwardly um, at, you know, a couple of the first ones were rough. Um, <clears throat> innovative stuff for sure, but I just, it, to me, it's not appealing. I don't know. Okay. What about, what about you? All right. I liked it. I thought it was a different take on, it, it was an alternative to those TLC car crash type of matches that the WWF, WWE was having with Edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys. I thought it definitely stood out and it really helped make, you know, it really helped establish something for TNA. Yeah. You know, aside, you know what I mean? Like the climbing and the everything, like there was, there was different ways to have those car crash type matches. Now let's just pause for a minute here as we're watching Monty Brown and R-Truth, K-Crush, whatever you want to call them in the ring. Monty Brown, an individual who many look at as there was a lot of, a lot of potential left at the table with him. Um, Give me your thoughts on Monty Brown, his time in TNA, what could have been. 
Um, I know he had a run in WWE briefly, but talk to me a little bit your thoughts on Monty Brown. The pounce. That's a great. That's yes. a great uh, maneuver. Um, you yep. saw that he I was. He too. was. He had a lot of tenacity behind him. Um, yes. A lot of passion. I really, yes. really got behind this guy, um, and I thought could have become a good. He was a good contender for the NWA Heavyweight Title. He was just a contender, mm-hmm. though. Um, yeah. If they had a secondary title, hell yeah. Like a North American championship at the time, mm-hmm. hell yeah. They should have brought that back. I could see him like mm-hmm. holding that down. Um, but when he went to WWE, it was just a wash. And it was like, it, it was a flash in the pan almost. You know? The bloom was already off the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think TNA wasted away with booking. And that we'll see that. We'll I talk about agree. that a lot throughout the the you know the history of TNA they they do that a lot with guys that have so much promise and then man you just you just you you, you waste them away on some bad booking and then you you ruin them I it's agree. not about wins I mean, and losses it's about how they're booked sometimes yes absolutely and i think um i think there was you know i just recently listened to the Monty Brown episode of the Jeff Jarrett's My World and they talked about how he had so much potential but he was still very green mm. So they wanted him to kind of like develop into you know develop his his repertoire and his skill set more, in order to be put in those main event positions. You know, on paper you look at him and you're like, God damn, this guy can talk. He's got a great look. Um, he may not be the best in the ring, but like he can kind of hold his own. But at the same time, he doesn't have that much main event experience or wrestling experience in general. So I can understand why the company didn't rely on him as much in a role at the top. Uh, but I do think there was some wasted opportunity with some of the booking. Uh, I remember in particular when he was a babyface, they they positioned him as like the, he was on the hunt for the title. He was on the hunt for the NWA world title. Jared had the belt, and he went through um, Kevin Nash and I think DDP in like a in like a triple threat match. Mm-hmm. At a pay-per-view to win. And then he would have to face Jarrett later in the night. And he lost to Jarrett. And Jarrett made up a great point. is that, And you just brought it up too. It's not how it's not about wins and losses. It's about how you're booked. And in that instance, you know, he lost to Jarrett. And people looked at that as, oh, he just jobbed to the, the, the head booker. But by the same token, look what he went through earlier in the evening. He had to defeat Kevin Nash and Diamond Dallas Page, two established stars, mainstream wrestling stars um, of the 90s, former world champions, beat them and had wrestled two guys to then face the third guy later in the night and come up short. I mean, I beat, so, uh, I let Monty Brown beat me. I mean, who cares if Jeff Jarrett goes over him? It's fake. That's, that's my Kevin Nash. <laughs> But I felt at the same time they took, I don't know, I felt like they could have ran more with him as a baby face. Like he was, he, you know, they, they, they turned him into a heel too quickly. Yeah. And, yep. and then they were still kind of playing on that, um, that, um, what you would call it. They were still kind of playing on the, um, the, the friction between the two, like Jarrett had aligned with Monty and had told Monty, you know, you watch my back, you help me keep the belt, I'll eventually give you a shot down the line. But they never followed through mm-hmm. with that. And that, I think, was a was a, a major misstep. Didn't he have personal um, issues happen in his life? Eventually he 
So, like, eventually he would leave TNA and he would go to the WWE. He would wrestle on the ECW brand. He actually had a match at WrestleMania 23 in Detroit, which he was from the Michigan area. He was a part of that New Blood ECW faction against um, the ECW Originals. He was known as Marcus Corvon, the alpha male. He still kind of kept the alpha male persona with the pounce and everything. They just changed the name for um, trademarking purposes. And then not long after that, he left the company, and I think it was there was some sort of personal issues within his family. I think it was like a sister. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say he had a relative who had passed away, and he was helping raise that individual's kids. Mm. So he had to step away from wrestling wow. and go back to like being like a personal trainer. I think he owned a gym at some point, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have all my, my research and my facts straight, but um, that's just the gist Definitely of it. Definitely a good example we, for what if. Uh, Monty Brown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. As we see Jerry um, Lynn we... and AJ Styles in the ring, they've had some history since the birth of TNA here. They fought for the X Division title in one of the first episodes, and uh, AJ Styles picked up the victory with that crazy spiraling move that he had at the time, crashing. The spiral tap. Dude, yeah, sp- like crashing on everybody with his legs. Like, I'm pretty sure he hurt some people. AJ Styles, oh, yeah. uh, you know, hurting people. Still to this day. It's like I'm kidding. Um, uh, then they eventually won the NWA Tag Team Championships. See, I liked how the X Division Championship was like not NWA. It was just the X Division, you know? Um, yeah. It was the brand of TNA and the NWA yeah. Tag Team titles. Uh, and now these guys are beefing because it's uh, who's the better wrestler. And uh, Yeah, and they're both the Tag Team Champions. So there's that like friction between the two champions um, over a singles title. Yeah, absolutely. Which is which is commonplace in wrestling. Two tag team partners that don't really necessarily get along, but they they get the job done for the you know the the greater good. As we see a ladder being put into play here, um, with uh, Lynn and Styles. Lynn being the you know ECW veteran uh, coming off that ECW run. Yep. Uh, right before the company shut down, he would eventually sign with WWE. Uh, have a run as the light heavyweight champion. Decent, but, you know, short-lived, uh, to say the least. And then he would kind of help further along the, the talent within uh, within TNA. And then to this day, he's still working in the wrestling business as a coach for AEW. Yeah. Um, both him and Styles, innovative guys at, uh, at the time. And uh, both them still, you know, can can show people how to do it and uh aj styles is still one of the best in the world let's go back to the uh like you were talking about the six-sided ring the evolution yes uh what are are your thoughts on that again i like i mean a lot of people let a lot of wrestling traditionists and purists say you know it's it's not wrestling it's not a four-sided ring and i can understand why some people wouldn't like that change but i i had I adopted to the change very well, I think, as a viewer, because it was something different. It made them stand out. For the longest time, wrestling organizations other than WWE were always accused of being WWE light. WCW was accused of that by signing stars from WWE and putting them in the top spots in their programming. TNA necessarily wasn't doing that. They were signing former WWE talent. No, not at this point yet, but the, the... the six-sided, the six-sided ring, I thought, was a nice way to differentiate themselves from the WWE. Um, I've heard stories, you know, through the years that um, it, the that that 
that six sided ring wasn't very kind to a lot of the a lot of the talents performing in it. The bumps they took it was a lot harder than a regular four sided ring. And then of course having to construct a match um, within the confines of that six sided ring, it, your 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 movement, your psychology, your timing is a little different. So as a viewer, I thought it was cool, and I thought honestly. If it was something that they had saved for just the X division, I think that would have been pretty. Well, how do you cool. do but that? Eventually, you, over you, time, you have to construct. A- yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah, you can't really. Yeah, I mean, you can't necessarily. You can't really do yeah. that. It's 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 kind of hard unless you were to do an all X division type of show. But um, I liked it. I did, and eventually, it it. it I think people got used to it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's made. It was something that helped make TNA stand out. I have no issue with it whatsoever. And then eventually evolved with the six sides of steel, which I thought was pretty cool too, with the lockdown pay per views and the, the the steel cage format of those shows. Um, you know, I thought as much as people complain and say, "Oh, well, you know, an all steel cage show," it it it, it there's no there's nothing genuine about it. It's all the same. Um, I thought at least doing it the first time was cool. Yes. But then once they kept doing it with like every match on the show was in a cage, then you lost the you lost the originality. Like, you know, how can you make this cage match different from the last one you just watched 15 minutes ago? Absolutely, so. unless you do like only like three or four of them where one's a tag, one's a four-way, you know. Well, eventually they started just doing away with the all-format, all-cage format, and they had like – just two of them. Like you had mm-hmm. like the lethal lockdown, which was their version of war games, which I thought was pretty neat. It was a pretty neat concept. Yes. Um, but you know, when it was in six sides, when it was in the six sided uh, cage, it was kind of hard to, it was, it, it was, it was kind of hard to watch. Cause you had 10 guys in a lot in a, in a war games type setting in there with the cage enclosed and weapons. All of, it's a big garbage. Oh fest. yeah. I, it's a, it's a big giant garbage. Recall, fest. It was, it was not, it was not pretty to watch. I recall, um, you know, before this era, it was middle school, and I kind of still played with my action figures at the times. Uh, but I had the cage that finally went around the ring. So uh, my my brother has that currently as a display in his bedroom. Awesome. Um, and yeah. he is with the TNA how old? figures. Yep, he is thirty four years go. old. See, uh, same age yeah. as me. Uh, it's all for it's all for display. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all exactly. for display. Um, so just like my setup. But anyhow, go ahead. So continue. I had that, and I uh, you know like. I booked what I called a house of pain match where it was uh, a four on four with weapons involved, a team elimination type thing. Um, So yeah, it's pretty funny that they eventually got that lethal lockdown, which I, I, I I absolutely loved. Um, And I liked the six sides of the ring. It was a different atmosphere. A lot of people say it was just kind of like a, a UFC ripoff. Once you get the cage involved too, especially. Yeah. But uh, I like the the presentation being different from WWE. Even at the time here, yes. it's different from WWE. Um. So I, I always appreciate every like every type of creative uh, uh yeah creative attempt that they they did. You know, even like a little bit of me was like all right let's see if this this works you know the ultimate x like i said there's some standout moments obviously king of the mountain king of the mountain that's another reverse, one that we could discuss you know, yeah the reverse ladder yeah. match i thought that was interesting and neat it's interesting a lot of people don't if really you tweak care for some it. of the rules yeah you know like what would you tweak uh, from that? I, so all right before all right, before you even do that for, for our listeners out there that are that are tuning in um 
the, the, the King of the Mountain ladder match is essentially a reverse ladder match. You have five guys in the match, and the object is, is to hang the championship belt by climbing up the ladder instead of climbing up the ladder and grabbing it. You have to hang the belt. But in order to qualify for that, you have to get a pinfall victory over one of your opponents. You pin the guy, then you qualify to hang the belt, and the guy you just pinned goes into the penalty box for five minutes. So some people think of that that match and that concept and it's like oh well it's convoluted there's too much to explain but i don't think it's really that hard but if you were to tweak it what would you tweak about it's it? just it's it's ever so slight um you do have to pin somebody but you have mm-hmm. to retrieve the belt it's just a ladder match but you have to pin somebody or you could do it where you can't retrieve the belt until all four men get pinned but that that goes a little long i think once you pick yeah i think once you pick up a pinfall you're eligible to climb that thing so then the other guys have to get involved to try to stop you um so i like that idea i like that idea i can get behind that call scott demore actually i have i have a buddy of mine that works behind the scenes for impact wrestling larry mcgrandy uh if you're listening uh larry uh to talk to talk to scott and don Callis. tell him i got a uh, whole thing of booking when from when i was younger uh, so yeah. I, I can I can book a bunch <laughs> of shit like Tony Khan. There's boxes of legal pads. For I swear a, to God, young dude. Kobe yeah. Nida. I believe it. I believe it. While we're, now now while we're on the while we're on the subject here of um, of booking and uh, you know TNA here, we, we we see Jerry Lynn and AJ Styles wrestling the Flying Elvises, which is Jorge Estrada and Jimmy Jimmy Wang mm-hmm. Yang who was a member of the Young Dragons in WCW. He would be the cowboy in the WWE. But the third member of that that Flying Elvis group was Sonny Siaki, someone who TNA at the time, they really banked on him being a big star. He had a good look, but he was solid in the ring. But when it came to him cutting a promo on the mic, oh my goodness. He tried to be a knockoff you, you, rock. Oh, I remember it at the I time. Remember. And then especially oh. once they, they joined sex. Sports Entertainment Extreme. Oh, that's right. The Russo oh, group. Yeah. Fuck, man. It got bad. Like, I yeah. really had a lot of promise in Sonny Siaki. Uh, or, like, hope for the guy. I mean, but the thing is, The Rock was just too big at the time. Oh, he was way yeah. too big. And he was and, and he was just part-time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, but, yeah, it, they, they really banked on him being a big star. I remember the moment. I don't remember exactly what show, but they they let Siaki cut a promo. And I think he had broken up from these two by then, by that point. He was just a singles guy. Yeah, I think uh, and, Jimmy Yang Wang moves on because he, he appears in MLW at the beginning of their run in, like, 03, 04. Yeah, I, I think they, like, disbanded the group. Jorge would eventually, you know, move on, and he wouldn't be with the company. But they, they, they kind of, you know, had big plans for Siaki. And I remember this one promo he cut. I don't remember who he was cutting it on, but he was at the top of the ramp. And he was, you know, talking down to the, the guy in the ring or whoever he had interrupted. And I'll just never forget. <clears throat> and this is when I knew that, like, that, that he's not it for them. That he's got a lot of work to do if, if he's going to be the guy. And he, he had told the individual, he was like, Sonny Siaki is life. <laughs> and he said it in this way that, like, he wasn't even that. convinced at what he was saying. Yeah. And I was just like... Oh my God! He's just—he's just remembering I, I, lines. Yeah, it, he didn't—he didn't even sound convincing to himself. Yeah, those were the you bad know, days. Sunny Siaki is life. What the fuck does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, 
Can you explain that to me in nefarious means? What the fuck that it, means? I mean, it. Yeah. I don't know. Let, let, yeah. Since that's a good transition point, because uh, those days were weird, uh, and they were not a lot of experimenting. Yeah, there was a lot. It was it was not too far in the future where Russo gets involved, right? And we start getting the sports entertainment extreme, bro. I think Russo. I think this is uh, what we're watching here. I think is right around the time when Russo had gotten involved russo was actually a month prior to this was he had the shortest he had the shortest run as a creative writer in wwe maybe even maybe the shortest um uh, he was a consultant for um the creative team he was originally hired back to work with like triple h and stephanie mcmahon and not not even uh, triple h but stephanie mcmahon and um uh, Michael Hayes and Bruce Pritchard, and I believe when word got out that Vince had rehired him in 2002 in the summer, I think he had like a two-day stint. He worked the King of the Ring pay-per-view, and then he might have might have worked Raw, and then he was sent home, and then he was under contract as a consultant on the phone, and I think he quit <laughs> not long after. So he was there for like a couple of days, and then um, he became available with Jarrett, and I think this is right around the time where he was getting more involved Um in the booking, um, from the best of my recollection, but yeah, Russo, <clears throat> Russo's got a place in history. I will, I, 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 I can't knock the guy for his passion. He may be delusional at times. I think sometimes he does a lot of that for clickbait, like Cornette. But Russo was able to take. Russo always had a place for somebody on the show, even in WWF. You would watch two hours of Raw, and you saw virtually three-quarters of the roster on that mm-hmm. show in some form or fashion. If they were involved in a backstage skit, if they did a run-in, it, there was a storyline for everybody. And that was, I think, Russo's greatest um, greatest attribute as a, as a creative Yeah, you writer, had to stay glued he was to a- the TV to watch and know the advancing storylines because if you had a callback or anything like that, or you're like, wait, why is this guy jumping this guy? Uh, it, it wouldn't make sense. Sometimes, though, it just wouldn't fucking make sense, though. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, but Russo, I think he was he was in it for the long game. You know, he, his his intentions were to obviously build the younger talent for you know and move them up the card. Because he had tried doing that in, with his time in WCW, but his execution of it, and I, I think the where the where the the particular talents were in their development of their character and their persona, I don't think they matched up. You know, he would just throw a young guy out on TV and, and try to build them up like they were the next best thing. But why? Why were they the next best thing? You know what I mean? Um, and then there were some guys that he latched onto. At one point, I believe he was kind of a, a mouthpiece for AJ Styles when they finally turned AJ Styles heel and gave him his first run with the NWA World Title. Yeah. But AJ was already at a point where he was established with the audience. He was popular. People liked him. And so then when he made that turn, they were like, "Why would good old boy AJ Styles um, turn his back on the, on TNA like that and side with a guy like Vince Russo. Yeah, that's one thing I never understood is like AJ Styles should have just been the the cornerstone guy that was always 
in this company, but he was like he almost got the sting treatment in WCW where they they oh, gave yeah. him they gave you know they he he was the guy, but uh, just in case there's somebody else or there's somebody hotter right now, you know? Yeah. Now what did you think of Dusty's era of booking within TNA in in, in uh, late two thousand four into early two thousand five? I, I like Dusty's booking. I always love mm-hmm. old school booking, like we just talked about. Um, his got a little convoluted sometimes, involving some of the yep. Scott Hall stuff, and you know, those guys uh, having creative control too is another thing that we have to remember. So yep. it's not always just dusty booking. He's just he's got ideas, but these guys are like, uh, that's not going to work for me, bro. Well, I don't know if those guys had creative. I don't know if those guys necessarily had creative control, or if they were just more. Um, they they were. They were vocal about what they wouldn't do, right, per se. Right, 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 right. True, true, true. Because I think I, I think that I think that creative control narrative gets like thrown around a lot. That true, um, and I think I think more veterans to, speak up to certain talents. Yeah, because they have more time on the job, and they have you know the they with their experience and, and how certain scenarios with char- with their characters or you know certain situations are. They they know. The, the positives and negatives of, of certain things and how the fans are going to react. So yep. um, to some degree, you can't blame them for, for stepping in and be like, wait a minute, that's not going to work. They're not going to buy this. I'm not doing that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But the, the, the Dusty era was an interesting one because it was right during a time period where they, had, they, they were establishing themselves with monthly pay-per-views. Um, Dusty, was, Dusty had a good balance, I think, of using the younger guys and showcasing them, but also bringing in established guys to try and move and elevate TNA to a different level. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought Dusty Dusty's era of booking uh, was beneficial to the company until it wasn't, until it reached its course, and then they had to try you know a, a new a new approach. If you yeah, will. around this time I was kind of uh, the oh four oh five. I was I was in the the dark days of like I would I would catch wrestling here or there. You know, I, I didn't really follow yeah. too much. It wouldn't be until uh, 2007 or 8 when I started, um, like, watching again frequently. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I did like TNA booking at the time. The, those monthly pay-per-views yeah. were pretty good. Yeah, they were they were a little action-packed, like the month the, 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 from the impact zone. I mean, they no pun intended. Um, they were... Uh, they had, I don't know. It felt like can't miss, mm-hmm. you know, the first few, um, especially after the um, the six sides of steel with Triple X and America's Most yeah. Wanted, uh, when Elix Skipper had done the tightrope walk on the top of the cage into the Frankensteiner on Chris Harris, which just, I mean, yeah. that's in the TNA highlight reel. What forever. year was that? That 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 was two thousand four. Okay. So yeah, so then that was when, that was December of two thousand four, turning point. And then the Dudley Boys, when they arrived there, that's when I was kind of watching. Uh, I started watching uh, TNA again. That was fall of two thousand five when the Dudleys would would, uh, and that was right around the time when they when they reached their television deal with Spike. Okay. When they were on, I believe they started on Saturday nights at nine yep. o'clock, and then after they had after the. They had gained a following on Saturday nights, even though that's a terrible time slot for wrestling. Fridays, Saturdays, what the fuck? Don't do that. Unless it's a pay-per-view. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or a premium live event, as they like to call them. But, um, 
then eventually they would move to Thursdays in prime time. And they would be at like 8 or 9 o'clock. And then it evolved. And they were like, now we're going to two hours. And we're on, you know, Thursday nights. And then they had moved to Fridays. And then they moved back to Thursdays. And then Hogan and Bischoff showed up. And they moved to Mondays for like three weeks. And that didn't work. And then they went back to Thursdays. And Thursdays have kind of... And then I think they even went to Wednesdays at yeah, one point, now, And then Tuesdays. They ran the whole gamut the whole yeah, week. They're currently at on Thursdays at 8 o'clock. Okay. Just FYI. So let's. I brought that. I brought up Hogan and Bischoff. Why don't we discuss that for a little bit? What were your thoughts on their arrival in TNA? Well, um, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. No, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I mean, because I had started watching again uh, and followed, um, I was very disappointed. I knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were going to get a bunch of their boys in there. They were going to push the wrong people, people that they were friendly with. Uh, people that would not speak up against them. There was going to be hokey yep. storylines, uh, a lot of yep. involvement with authority figures, which we were we were yep. well over by this point. You know? Yeah. Um, yep. uh, even WWE was coming into that territory where it was just becoming, uh, dare I say, toxic to the uh, mm-hmm. to the industry. Um, yeah. And Hogan and Bischoff, you know, switching it to Mondays. It's like, fuck for fuck's sakes, man. I don't want to, I don't want to flip back and forth at this time. Um, I, I, I thought the idea of it was cool that the, the flipping back and forth and trying to recreate the Monday night wars, but it just, it wasn't the same. I thought the competition I re- idea I, was cool, but don't have it on at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was just totally against it. Um, and I honestly don't think Eric Bischoff is a good actor. So every time he's on the screen, he's, you know, I got to talk like this and I got a contract disputes and you're going to have a match tonight. You know, it's every like every time he's on screen, I, I just I, I've seen him so much over the years where it's just like it, this was old. And then Hogan mm-hmm. and then eventually leading to they and immortal their factions. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. It, it, it was bad. Those were hard, uh, hard year two years to watch of uh of that it's it's funny cuz you know the the, the immortal storyline was very similar to um the the main event mafia in some ways where you had the older guys that were kind of holding down the younger talent you had Sting, Kurt Angle, Kevin Nash, Scott Steiner and Booker T as a part of the main event mafia mm-hmm. and I thought that that storyline with the TNA originals like Joe and Styles and 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 Christopher Daniels and then eventually um, you know the Dudleys were a part of it. I thought that was I, I I thought I didn't mind it. And you know, yet Foley was like a co-owner, but there was so much change going on and not enough consistency. Like it was like it, it TNA had kind of started in that like I want to say like two thousand and eight. Late 2008, early 2009, they had started to lose. They started to lose its luster from what it was before. Sure, you know, they 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 relied they relied a lot on established guys and not enough on the the as as many people would like to say the homegrown talent. Well, but they were getting to I mean, a point. That's what I, that uh, that's what I was talking about. They were getting to a point where they had to eventually get behind AJ Styles or Joe or something, you know, get behind those fucking guys and then Hogan and Bischoff came in and it just it stayed stagnant, you know? It was the same but, thing. But you know, here, to 
to not to defend Hogan and Bischoff, but they dropped the ball on Joe before Hogan and Bischoff true, showed up. True, I'm like let's true. let's let's be real, okay? Joe, and we'll talk about we'll we'll talk about that right now. You know, 2005, Joe comes in at Slammiversary, and he's a big name in Ring of Honor, um, and he comes in on this undefeated streak for nearly a year, over a year, and at one point. He probably should have. I mean, granted, I know they weren't trying to recreate the Goldberg thing, but they should have given. They, I feel like they should have given him the belt during the undefeated streak because he was so hot. The people wanted to see it. That angle where he stole the belt from Jeff yeah. Jarrett and held it hostage, yeah. and then Kurt Angle made his debut. Like that was really good stuff, you know. And I and and I felt like that was when they should have striked. Was 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 him. He steals the belt, and then somehow he wins it. Instead, they gave it to Sting, which wasn't a terrible decision, but it wasn't, it wasn't my favorite decision either. You know, And I know we're kind of going all over the place when it comes to the, 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 some of the stuff that had taken place within the, the storylines on TNA, but I really feel like, for me, looking back on it, that point where Joe, Joe just felt like another guy on the roster. Mm-hmm. After after he lost to Kurt Angle. Okay. You know, and that to me, that point in time, and, and it just kept building and building. Like, they were they, they had kind of pushed AJ Styles off to the side. We got Disco Inferno in here with some sort of little talk show segment. I don't know what this is. Never liked him, uh, never we, have, never will. Yeah. We just saw Jerry Lynn and AJ Styles retain their tag team. Yeah, titles Jerry Lynn stole the victory there. Uh, Jerry Lynn bleeding like a leaking like a sieve. Um, yeah, but going back just a little bit here, just I'll kind of you know end my point here because I have an OCD about that. <laughs> um, TNA was on, a, on, I thought was on a good path in like 2006 and even 2007. They were they were doing monthly monthly pay per views outside of Orlando in smaller venues. The crowds were hotter. Um, I thought they were gaining some momentum, and they were kind of going to the well with using the established guys mm-hmm. more, the Kurt Angles, the Stings, the stuff like that. And I felt like the real turning point for them, for me as a fan, was not capitalizing on the popularity of Samoa Joe. Because Samoa Joe kind of had that like Goldberg mystique about him, where he was undefeated, he was this killer, he was going through everybody, and... He gets beat by Kurt Angle, and then that's just the end of it. I get it. Kurt was a big name. He was hot at the time. He had just left WWF. He was probably their biggest acquisition they had. But you sacrificed a guy that you had been building up for the last year and a half to someone like Kurt Angle. On paper, you could say, oh, well, you know, he lost to Kurt Angle. That's, you know, Kurt Angle's no slouch. Correct. But by the same token, what does that do for Kurt Angle? To me, as a fan, I felt like it did nothing for Kurt Angle. I felt like Samoa Joe needed that boost more than Kurt Angle did on his debut. Yeah, or at least fucking, or at least wait to wait to have these two collide in like six months. They hot shotted it right off the rip. I know. There's a lot of uh, things that they did, head scratchers, if you will, along the years. And as far as Hogan and Bischoff go, you're right. It wasn't the greatest experiment. Okay, they they used a lot of their buddies. The biggest mistake they made was trying to make AJ Styles into a mini Ric Flair. Yep. Um, I think they eventually got back on track with the Aces and Eight story. Oh. So I did not like it. I was intrigued 
because but but I thought to myself, well, this is kind of like a Bullet Club ripoff. I mean, not Bullet Club, an NWO ripoff, but with biker gangs, and it's, it was very like mm-hmm. cheesy. Now watching it back, I love the evolution of it. I like the story. I like how Bully Ray became the leader of it. And there was like history. There's a whole promo of him running down how he developed this whole plan. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's really cool. And they even brought um, Garrett Bischoff and Wes Briscoe back on a recent Impact pay-per-view last month. I saw that. Uh, and they teamed up with Doc Gallows and Carl uh, Anderson, members of the Bullet Club. So a little, you know, uh, nostalgia there. I, I like that. Um, aces and eights really did develop some guys where, you know, you had this, this monster heel faction where, uh, an underdog AJ styles could come up against them, you know, eventually. Yep. They did that, but in a hot flash and then AJ styles was gone because they didn't respect his contract and respect him in the back. I, I, I don't know. You know, uh, what, what are your thoughts on Ace? And I eight? thought, I thought the, like I said, the, the Hogan-Bischoff era from 2010 throughout, like maybe even to early 2012, I, I thought it was a failed experiment. I get the, the, the execution. I get the theory that, you know, Hogan's name attaching to it's going to draw mainstream viewers, but at the same time, it didn't really do anything. In theory, they tried to get AJ Styles the rub, but turning him into a mini Ric Flair was not the right call. Um you know, trying to capitalize on the popularity of Jeff Hardy in a singles role that failed when he, you know, tried to perform in a match um, high off his ass and almost killed, almost killed himself. Um, so there were a lot of missteps and bumps and mistakes um, that were made, and I think the narrative of Hogan and Bischoff's history in WCW didn't help that whatsoever. Um, with that being said, the Immortal storyline I thought was ridiculous. I didn't really care for that either. That was a period of time at TNA where I was just kind of like, eh. Like, maybe like the best things to come out of that was probably the Motor City Machine Guns and Beer Money and the series of matches they had with each other. But everything else was just kind of, eh. Like, and then, like, between Motor City and and Beer Money and then the, 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 um, what's it? The Jeff Jarrett, Kurt Angle storyline where in real life, Kurt Angle's wife, Karen, had an affair with Jeff Jarrett, and it led to Jeff Jarrett's exit from the company. He was put on you know, a leave of absence for uh, an extended period yeah, of time. She got, they she brought got him- D-double-I-C-double-K-double-E-double-D down. <laughs> By J-E-double-F. J A double R E double T. Oh man! And this was this was that this was, was something segue. that kind of brought eyes to their programming too. It did. I mean, the the the, the genuine um, real life nature of it, I thought, was interesting and intriguing. Um, there were some hokey Memphis parts of it that they that I felt like wasn't necessary, wasn't needed. You know, you had um, there was a storyline where. Um, give Jarrett 
uh, Jarrett and Karen wanted to renew their vows or something or get married, but like if Kurt won a match, he was going to be the one to walk her down the aisle or some weird shit like that. I mean, there was just there was some hokey parts to it, but there were other like real life elements of it that I thought worked. So between that storyline and the best of seven series with the Motor City Machine Guns and, and Beer Money, those are the only real positive aspects of TNA I enjoyed up until the Aces and Eights storyline. And this was right around the time where they started taking impact on the road, which I thought was beneficial for yes. them. Because they needed to they needed to perform in front of a fresh crowd. The the Orlando crowd was tired and I think they needed to perform in front of a fresh crowd. They didn't draw very well because their advertising and their marketing wasn't up to snuff, but um I thought it was I thought it was a nice fresh paint of coat as they like to say in the business that they would that they put their weekly shows out on the road and that's when eventually the aces and eights storyline uh would begin um i liked it i was a big sons of anarchy fan the biker gang element so i i watched it um i was an impact viewer weekly because of the aces mm-hmm. and eights storyline and many people will say oh well it was so predictable that it was bully ray but sometimes if, it, if it's executed properly and it makes sense, the predictability, it, it works. It doesn't matter. Like, And I'll never forget, too, and 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 I thought this was one of the brighter moments in, in TNA's, um, during this time of TNA, was they did a special on Spike after Impact went off the air where it was like the formation of Aces and Eights. And Bully Ray pretty much went through step-by-step, week-by-week, the plan of how it eventually became known that he was the one that set this whole thing up. And I thought it was very well done. They tied up every loose end possible, every booking hole you could think of. They had a they had a, a plausible reason and explanation as to why this went down and how it eventually led to Bully Ray becoming the leader of Aces and Ace. You can Google it and find it. Um, I don't remember what the show was called, but I think it was like, like After the Bell mm-hmm. or something like that or... Or after or post impact or something where it was a an hour long special of Bully Ray kind of going through um, the, the the weaving through the, the the formation of Aces and Eights and how it would become his baby and I thought it was I thought it was genius stuff I really and I think it was a role that fit him perfectly it really helped establish him as a singles heel it made him a credible believable world champion in my opinion. And it also, he did so well in this role that myself included amongst many wrestling fans felt this could be something he could use elsewhere, particularly WWE. And we we didn't get to see it, but it was, he did such a great job reestablishing himself and especially in a singles role. This was one of the bright spots of TNA at that time during the Hogan Bischoff era. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A highlight of it. And you get Garrett Bischoff. (laughs) <laughs> it's so interesting that uh, Eric would put his son in there, but I mean, he was, he was, he was trained by uh, Ernest the cat Miller. And uh, Rikishi. Somebody call his mom. Well. Yeah. Um, Eric, actually, you know, I'm, I'm a regular listener 83 weeks. And when this subject comes up, it was Eric who had said, you know, I tried telling him, no, I don't want him involved. And he laid out everything that, um, you know, that Garrett was going to experience all the backlash from the talent and fans because his because of his last name. Yeah. And he eventually, you know, he, he started Garrett out, you know, from the bottom, you know, setting up the ring, then being a referee, then eventually getting a a, a 
supporting role character on television in, 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 as a part of the Aces and Eights. So, and then eventually culminated with a rivalry with him and his father on TV, which was, eh, I didn't really care for that. But, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting, the, the, the biker concept. And me personally, I felt like they had cut the cord on that way too soon. They had built it up for so long, for almost a year, I'd say like seven or eight months, until if it was known that Bully was the, the, the leader. And then he gets a small run as the champ. And all of a sudden, they decide they're going to break the group up. And they were letting go guys left and right. They let go of Mike Knox. They let go of Wes Briscoe. They let go of Garrett Bischoff. They let go of um, Doc Gallows. All these guys, they were just cutting them loose. And that was the downfall of the Aces and Eights. I thought the Aces and Eights had another good six months to a year left as a, as a group on television. But the, the formation of it, the beginning, um, the stuff with Hogan, the stuff with Brooke Hogan, um, the, the cage match with Jeff Hardy when Bully revealed himself as the leader, I thought all that stuff was great stuff and a high point for TNA. Yeah, for sure. Um, going into uh, the other topic here, I mean... Let, let me scale back, actually. As we see in the ring, Simon Diamond and uh, Johnny Swinger going against uh, Monty Brown and Kay Crush. Um, no, that's actually Elix Skipper. Elix Skipper, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Different Don't, player. <clears throat> hey, pal. Hey. <laughs> hey, Shelton. Good question, Shelton. Um, here's $1 million. Shut up about it. <laughs> he really is the million dollar man. It's like he has no concept of money. I'll give you a two to yeah, suck exactly. my dick. I'll give you two million dollars to suck my dick and shut up about it. Like, oh, okay, jeez, ain't no stopping me. No! Oh my god. Um, so these guys are remnants of ECW, and uh, you know we get some scattered WCW talent in here. I like the mixture of TNA at the time. You know, uh, in the birth of it, it was just those those leftover yeah. parts of the old the old days. The Monday Night Wars. They're pretty much, it, it, pretty much. This is a. It, Jarrett has said this on his podcast before. They were looking for all talent, anybody that wanted to work, and 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 kind of having their pick of the litter as to who they wanted to keep and who they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to associate with, you know, moving forward. So it was. It, they pretty much, like I said, this these early days are a work in progress. They maybe had a core seven, eight, nine, ten guys that they knew were 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 theirs for the long run. But everybody else was, it was like a tryout on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of K Crush, there, there he is. There he is. <sighs> well, let's talk about another um, storyline during the um, during the Hogan. Well, was it during the Hogan? Yeah, Hogan and Bischoff were still running things at this time. The Claire Lynch storyline, where it was believed at first. That AJ Styles was having an affair with Dixie Carter, but it turns out he was just mentoring and and looking after Dixie's niece Claire, who had a drug problem. Now, this is a little interesting tidbit here that I wanted to share with you as well as the rest of the listeners as we're watching um, Monty Brown being attended to by the uh, by the referees after no selling the choke pretty much of our true and his, uh, his hot topic. Gotta stay belt. strong. Um, gotta stay strong. That's right. Gotta book him strong. Um, what was I going to say? Um, originally the storyline was meant 
to be revealed that AJ was. Um, oh, hold on. Let me stop here for a minute. Speaking of ridiculous, this is we got the Dups with Trevor Murdoch, current there, who is now the NWA N- champion. Yes, that's right. The current NWA World Heavyweight Champion being interviewed by Goldilocks. I don't know who the other Dup is. Um, I think it was like Bo Dup and Stand Up. I think were the Jeez. names. They were just a, you know this typical Memphis wrestling gimmick, bunch of hillbillies. But um, anyways, back to what I was saying. Originally, the story was to appear that AJ Styles was having an affair with Dixie Carter, and it was going to be revealed that they were they were together. Um, but um, some uh, some some folks over at Panda, particularly Dixie's mother and father, were were receiving negative backlash from the folks at their country that ain't, club. That ain't Christian like. You know she's with Surge. Exactly. Yeah. Uh they they trying to make my Dixie look like she's a hoe. And uh that that that's just not going to fly with me. Otherwise, I ain't going to be writing any more checks if you know what I mean. Um but yeah, actually, that's according to Bruce Pritchard on the Bruce Pritchard Something to Wrestle podcast. Many years ago, I listened to it. It was regarding the TNA episode, and the the Clareland storyline was brought up. And the original idea was AJ and Dixie were going to be having an affair, and they were going to turn to this big power couple on TV. AJ wasn't really too fond of it, but he was going along with it. And I think Dixie was going to kind of go along with it too until her parents stepped in and pretty much told Pritchard. Um. That this wasn't going to, this wasn't going to fly. That the folks at the country club were like, "What, you know, what's this Dixie? You know, Dixie's being portrayed as this, you know, the the the, the other woman, so to yeah. speak. So there's Jezebel, if you will. So then that's where they pivoted and turned it into the Clareland storyline, which happened to be one of the worst storylines in the history of wrestling in general. Terrible actress. Um, Yes, well, so terrible. She had a job as olive oil at Universal Studios at the as one of the Popeye characters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my wow. goodness! Well, at least she got paid with spinach. Anyhow, that was cheesy as hell. And there's some other bad uh, cheesy stuff that they did. the The power of Hogan, the ring, the uh, where he, where oh yeah. the abyss. <clears throat> He yeah. gave he gave him that his Hall of Fame ring from the WWE, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I believe he he gave him the ring, and it was the he used the power of it to to for his comebacks and his matches. They were trying to make Abyss like this, like Hulk Hogan um, fanboy, if yep. you will, and Hulk Hogan was like his mentor. Um, all right, so let me rattle off some names. Here we go, TNA history. Let me rattle off some names. You give me, you know. A thought or two on on these individuals. Okay. Uh, let's start with Abyss. Abyss, uh, a guy that uh, I think could ha- again. It's another story of TNA. I think he he had a lot more potential than what he did, but then some of the booking killed him over the. He became a, a you know a, just a character of what he was. Came in pretty uh, young in these early days, uh, unmasked and very green. Uh, but then as they evolved the character of Abyss, he, he he got his own match, the Monsters Ball match, which is pretty cool, um, you know, to see okay. that hardcore aspect come along. And he he, he eventually had a nice repertoire in the ring. Um, okay. And with Father James Mitchell, there was a nice feud there with all that, becoming those monster matches. Um, and then 
you know, becoming the guy with Jeff Hardy. You know, it was the the Jeff Hardy had to slay the monster abyss, um, and I think yep. I think he. I think he he did well, but then you know it just it, it trailed along too long. I think he could have left to go to WWE. He should have left when he had that opportunity. Then he could have come yep. back and done some more stuff. I think it, it fizzled out when he started working with Scott Steiner and Bubba Ray and and doing some weird stuff. And then Joseph Park storyline where he, he he was his brother and Chris Parks, and it's just like. Yep. Eh. You know, it, it became very cartoonish and a caricature of himself. What are your thoughts? Well, okay, I'm just going to okay, keep sure. listing them off. I want your thoughts. Short and sweet, not that okay, then long I'll go, extended war piece novel that. you just fucking gave me. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I'm just busting on you. I don't care. Um, Christian Cage and Tomko. Never liked Tomko. Christian Cage finally got a chance to be a main eventer and well-deserved and well-proved. Even to this day, he, he's good as a heel. Okay. Daniels and Kazarian. Love him. Uh, I love the tag team, The Addiction, when they evolved. Uh, those guys are, 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 you know, from the early days of TN, TNA. Innovative wrestlers, even to this day, putting on some matches and carrying guys and uh, uh, in-ring psychology and how it works. I mean, Christopher Daniels will will tell you the secrets of pro wrestling if he get that joke. Scott Steiner, crazy, uh, but uh, this is where he just became Scott Steiner, like to the max, getting the tattoo on the chest and uh, while he became a caricature. Of yeah, himself. again, yep. Like a parody yep. almost? Yeah. Okay. Um, LAX. Fans, the, which one? The original, Conan, Homicide, and Hernandez. Love it. Love them. Uh, always a big fan of Conan. I was a huge fan of Conan uh, and innovative guys. Hernandez is a guy who I think, again, uh, could have had a nice spot in TNA being a main eventer and uh, – uh, due to, you know, certain reasons, just, you know, kind of dwindled after a while and just stays in that one spot, you know? Magnus, otherwise known as Nick Aldis. Didn't like him as Magnus, love him as himself. Nick Aldis is way better in NWA. I was not a fan of him being the guy that was going to hold down the NWA championship, but uh, I, he has proven since then, to me, in my opinion, he is, he is a great, uh, great, great wrestler. Raven. Drug addict. Um, <laughs> yeah. The end. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, he got a second shine in, in TNA, but he still mm-hmm. had issues. That was some of the things with TNA. They, there's often some of the boys had more availability and time, as we talked about before, to do nefarious means. Yeah. I liked the Raven run in TNA in the early days when he came back in 2003, challenged Jarrett for the title. Then he became a babyface. He had a, a short run as the NWA champion. The dog collar match he had with Abyss at No Surrender in 2005 I thought was a lot of fun. He had a pretty fun tag match with him and Sabu against um, Jarrett and Rhino at the Sacrifice 2005 pay-per-view. I thought that was a lot of fun. And even the match with Rhino at Unbreakable in 2005. Those were some pretty fun matches as well. Um, 
I, I think the story of Raven's career has always been like, at least for me as a fan, and you could you could speak on this, you know, share your thoughts as well. But I feel like there's always something more that he could have offered, but there just seemed to be something to get in the way, whether it was himself or the booking mm-hmm. or whatever. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I I agree, one hundred percent. It was just, it, it it was it was one one thing after the next. It, it just couldn't get there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think, who else could I name off um, in TNA history? Your share your thoughts. So, um, I'm sorry. What's your What's your question? No, I'm just trying to think if there's more guys that I could. Well, well all right. Let me. Uh, I'll put the I'll put the final nail on the coffin here. What did you think of? Um, what did you think of uh, Mike Tanay and Don oh. West as as a, as a team? Loved them. Um, Don West, that sales marketing stuff. Um, really, just uh, really, really, really um, sold everything had a lot of passion. Mike Tanay, I meant to bring that up earlier. Uh, an underdog announcer. Um underrated, underrated. I'm sorry. An underrated yep. announcer. Uh just a guy that brought a lot of um information about the wrestlers, the background, gave you the names of the moves, almost like a akin to a Dave Meltzer being an announcer, you know? Um he he just had all the facts at the time. Um and he was a straight shooter. He was almost like that Gordon Sully where he would just like talk, you know, straight and no, no type of, you know, reaction until they turned both of them heel. Didn't they eventually turn both of them heel? They turned or different um, times though. They turned Don West heel. I think today just kind of got a little bit more of an edge, but I know that for, for a brief period of time, they turned Don West heel. And then I don't think that lasted very long. Uh, as we see, um, our, we have our main event here. Looks like it's going to be Sabu and Ken Shamrock in a ladder versus submission match for the NWA world title. Uh, but we have clips here of uh, Sabu and Malice from a recent episode of NWA TNA. But yeah, I think it was I think it was West had turned, and he kind of had a heel thing. But they, that didn't last very long. They, I think they even tried making him a manager. He was Amazing Red's manager at one point, like his promoter. And that's when they brought Taz in as a color commentator with Mike Tanay. And then eventually Taz would stay on as the, the color guy. Yeah. What were your, what were your thoughts now, on Taz being the color guy for so long? I've always liked Taz as a color guy. I, fe- I felt like Taz kind of brought that experienced pro wrestler into the mix. And his, his knowledge for submission moves and holds and things like that with his very like blue-collar New York style mm-hmm. – I thought blended really well at the beginning when he when they first paired him with Michael Cole in WWE. I was just I I, I wanted to see ECW Taz. Right. I wanted that little sawed off monster that was going to kill yeah. dudes. And eventually, over time, his work in the booth grew mm-hmm. on me. And because of his experience um, in the ring and how he was able to describe, um, you know, the moves that were taking place, the holds and things like that, and the matches. Um, I thought his I, 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 I thought he added to the presentation. I do. I think sometimes though he got carried away and kind of spoiled things sometimes too. Uh, um, 
I can't give directly an example, but there was plenty of times I remember watching while he was uh, announcing and he's just kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's calling what's going to happen essentially because he yeah. knows wrestling, um, <clears throat> which is fine. Um, but then w- what are your thoughts on uh, Josh? Uh, yeah, Matthews. Josh Matthews. I thought he wasn't bad. Um... Him and JB worked well together. Josh Matthews wasn't bad, but then he got annoying at the end. Uh, yeah, he can get annoying. Very stale. Um, I, I think depend. He has to work with certain people. Like I thought his like in WWE when they when they moved him into a color position, and he was um, paired with Michael Cole, and Michael Cole was like the heel at the time. I thought because the two of them had worked behind the scenes well together, or had worked behind the scenes together, their chemistry on camera came off genuine like josh matthews really sounded annoyed when michael cole would state a point or would even correct him on certain things and because of you know their their positions in the broadcast booth i thought it at times it worked well together other times it overshadowed what you were watching on the screen because they were trying to get over their own shit but other than that he was okay he wasn't i i could take him or leave him but i liked today personally just because today had a very like um professional sports feel and presentation to himself with his knowledge for wrestling you know he was like he reminded me a lot of um of um when it comes to the not like al michaels when it comes to the history of the sport of wrestling you know al michaels very knowledgeable sports broadcaster in football you know al michaels you know has generations decades of experience calling some of the greatest moments in the history of sports mike today even though he didn't have that much experience, his knowledge for wrestling and how he translated that in a broadcaster's role, I thought was done really well. Some people say he wasn't a great play-by-play guy, that he was he would have been a good color guy, but to me, I didn't. I, I liked him in TNA. Yeah, I liked him. I liked him. Uh, what do, What are your thoughts? Do you are you familiar with the current TNA uh, commentary team? I'm not. I mean, I, it's, some stuff here and there. I know that like they've kind of. Um, implemented some of the Ring of Honor guys. It's like, Todd you know, Phillips, uh, which is not Todd Phillips anymore. I forget his name. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, from WWE. I always liked him. I thought he should have been the lead He's guy. He's great, but yeah, in WWE, I thought he got. A, I thought he got a raw deal. He should have been the he, lead guy. He knows everybody's moves. He brings up a lot of history. He's not annoying. Uh, he he has intent. Who's the color uh, guy? It's Matthew Raywald, who is. Uh, the guy that did the me, 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 the opera singing. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, um, um, Aiden yes, English. Yes, yes yeah. okay. Because for a while they were using D'Lo and Matt Stryker, yep. right? And I hated Matt Stryker, and they got rid of them. Uh, I don't. He's too much of a fan. Yeah, boy. they just transitioned into this. Once they hit their 20-year, uh, once this year began, they, they started fresh. Like, it's like a brand new, like a breath of fresh air. Uh, so you got two mm-hmm. new announcers, um, got a little bit different setup of the, the roster. Um, I mean, Chris Saban is still there. Um, yep. him and, I've seen him and Alex yeah, Shelley. Motor City Machine Guns performing. Uh, he's another guy where I think they gave him the title and it was just, it was kind of like a hot shot thing. Um, yep. And he's another. Well, I, I, on that sure. subject. Kind of going back a little bit. What did you think of the the? And Austin Aries was the individual that 
on television had came up with this concept, but option C, it was almost like the money in the bank. If you were the X division champion, then you had at, you had the option, or if you won the X division title or something at destination X, then you had the option or option C of facing the world champion. What, what, what were your thoughts on that? Cause that was, that felt very like money in the bank. Yeah. Like. Again, it was where we talked about the WWE light stuff. They started doing some, uh, some things where it was just, uh, it's not a bad idea, but you kind of negate the X division title when you just drop it and get rid of it, you know, or you kind of bring it down a little bit. Do, am I not wrong? Yeah. But th- make it, make it feel less yeah. important. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So you trade in that title because you don't want to be that champion anymore for a shot at the world title. Now, yes, it makes the world title important, but you, like you said, you kind of downgrade the X division title. Like, oh, I'm I'm too good for this. I don't need this belt anymore. I'm going to move on to bigger and better things. That's just that's just my take on it. But I do want to ask you this: You watch a lot of current Impact. Yeah. I keep up here and there online, like you know, through social media. Um, guys like Moose, Joss Alexander, Honor No More, um, Eddie Edwards, Sammy Callahan, Jordan Grace. Um, names like that I've been kind of keeping track of a little bit here and there. Um, the Good Brothers, um, the Eric Young's little group. Out of the current roster and impact, is there one or more than one individual that you feel has potential to be a bigger star outside of impact? Like if they like if their time has come, they can move on to somewhere else like an AEW or a WWE. Like legitimately, who do you think from out of that the current crop of impact talent has a chance to move on to bigger and better things. Mm. There's a, there's two guys Um, because they, they kind of, they kind of uh, adopted some of the ROH guys since the, 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 you know, the hiatus that ROH went on so that they kind of got like Matt Taven and some of those guys. Um, I saw that. Yeah. um, I think, the roster that they have, the birth that they have, the guys that they've kind of honed and have a home home base for, Moose. The only thing is WWE has Bobby Lashley. They have Omos. They have a big dominating black guy, and it's unfortunate that WWE looks at it that way, that sometimes they're like, we already have this, that, you know. But in today's social media landscape and in today's society with the Black Lives Matter movement, you see a lot of entities in whether it's sports, whether it's entertainment, whether it's business, uh, where they are leaning more towards African-American representation. And I think with WWE, you see a lot of that now between the Street Profits, Bianca Belair, Bobby Mm -hmm. Lashley, almost, Mm -hmm. um, you know, names like that, that I think Moose... I think Moose would fit in just fine. I think fine. Moose is is way more athletic than almost. And I think I think oh, I think he's is. way more athletic than most of the roster on WWE with the moves that he pulls off. Um mm-hmm. he he does have a, a little bit of trouble speaking sometimes, having some intensity behind him, but he's a dominating guy yep. and he used to play football. So it, it it's a big yep. thing. Uh him and then the other guy, a sleeper, Ace Austin. Uh, I, really? I don't know what it is. I like him. I like. I could see him being a nice. I like him being a heel. Um, and I could see him being one of those guys that 
uh, could be a good heel in WWE. Um, like in NXT? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I can't see him on a Raw or SmackDown having a, having a significant role. But NXT? Yeah, 100%. Other than that, it's, it's hard. It, it, that's it. Uh, definitely Moose. Okay. See, you know, it's interesting that you bring up just, you know, two names because if you think about it within the history and the landscape of TNA and it's 20, 20 plus years they've been in existence or 20 years they've been in existence, I should say, there's really only been a handful of guys that have had a, that has left that company and gone on to bigger and better things and has succeeded Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, AJ Styles and Robert Roode. Mm-hmm. And maybe even, maybe even you could make a, a to some degree, um, no, nah, that's really about yeah, it. Robert Roode, though, even... He, in NXT. Yeah, yes. For sure. But it also became it also became a home, like, in the last several years, it also became a home for guys to, as they like to say, learn a new hold so that Vince can call them back. Like Drew McIntyre, for Bobby example. Lashley. Drew McIntyre. Yeah, Bobby Lashley. Those Two of those names. Those guys had um, some bangers of some matches to get against each other for impact wrestling a number of years ago. And they also really established their, their, their craft. Um, and like I said, learning a new hold so that they could be noticed as we see Shamrock pulling down the, is he pulling down the title? He's trying. Oh, wait a minute. He's trying. Uh-oh. The lights are out. Had to, what had we to got wait here? for the oh, call they're there. back on. What? Oh, a little late oh, cue. Oh my goodness. Get it down, Ken. Waiting for Malice. He's hangling. Is, is is dangling. Yeah, well, Malice mixed his cue or something happened wrong because that... Or they or they, they hit the lights. Yeah, that should have went... Well, I think Ken was, was grabbing it, and he... It, it, again, the lights should have went off. Uh, AJ Styles, though, I think is the big standout guy that, that has definitely uh, gotten the most out of being a, a, a TNA original. A homegrown yeah. talent, if you will. He, and he's the guy that everyone didn't expect to not only make it to WWE, but be as successful as he did. I mean, let's face it. He main evented night one of WrestleMania a couple of years ago during the pandemic in a in a unbelievable cinematic display <laughs> with Undertaker, which is to this day Undertaker's current last yeah. match. Nobody ever thought someone like AJ Styles was going to ever reach that point as we see Malice leaving with the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, closing out this episode of NWA TNA here. Um, this was a lot of fun going back and watching this episode of TNA, the debut in the asylum, and just talking about our thoughts on the history of TNA. I, I, I'm, I'm glad we got to do this. Absolutely. This, this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. I don't know what we got planned for August, but um, I'm definitely looking forward to to, to, to next month and marking out the days, if you will, in wrestling history. Kobe, it's been a pleasure. It, it really has. This, this was a yes, lot of fun. We, just, we, and we don't normally talk about no. TNA, so this was a breath of fresh air for us. This yeah, was it was. pretty cool. We might, we, we might keep the train rolling here with, with, with some of this Absolutely, TNA stuff. as we're on the 20th anniversary, I think we definitely should. It, it, it's cool. It's not necessarily we're going to rebrand marking out the days total nonstop uh, watch-alongs or something. Uh, but there you uh, go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it was it was cool to go through this 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 history, this historic day in TNA history um, at the asylum, which they were at for so long. Um, it was it was a lot of fun doing this. And as always, 
be sure to follow us on all platforms at Retromania with a W. Um, follow us on the Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Write to us if you have any requests. Well, we, Dave and I are still open to subjects for this Marking Out the Days experiment. So, uh, yeah, we're, so we're going to do months chronologically. So we're going to, you know, this, this month here we've covered, uh, you know, something from July. Next month we'll cover something from August or a couple of subjects from August. So if there's anything you want us to discuss that took place in the month of August in wrestling history, then send us a request and let us know. And, uh, you know, you might, you, you might uh, get to hear us uh you know, chit the chat, if you will, on uh, that particular subject. That you yeah, hit us up in the DMs, or you can write to us at retromaniapodcast at gmail.com. Um, check out the archive on Podbean. Search us on any podcasting platform at Retromania with a W. Dave, thank you so much for this episode. That was fun. Thank you very much. This was a total nonstop watch-along for each and every one of you, and for you as well, Kobe, the rebrand of Marking Out the Days. We will see you next month.